Watch us on the web at english.rti.org.tw. You're listening to Radio Taiwan International. Up ahead this hour, it's Hashtag Taiwan, Taiwan Explained, and In the Spotlight. But first, we start off today's program with a new edition of Here in Taiwan. Well, welcome to Here in Taiwan. Today is Thursday, July 2nd. I'm John Van Trieste, and joining me here in the studio today, we've got Shirley Lin. Hello. And I'd like to give a special welcome to our brand new contributor. It's Catherine Wei. Hi. Welcome. Thank Up you. next, uh, it's a panda baby. Taipei Zoo is celebrating its latest edition, but like all babies, we're going to find out what it is that's making it a whole lot of work for zookeepers. Then, Taiwan's pig's blood makes a splash at a big international cooking show. Don't worry, it's not a literal splash. And how a Taiwanese city in the north of Taiwan is celebrating its 450th ever birth. All that coming up next. Please stick around. First up today, though, I'd like to explore why it is that a Taiwanese rice cooker is making it big in Japan. Now, for those of you who haven't traveled widely in Asia, of course, rice is a common staple food between Taiwan and Japan, but the rice cookers look quite a bit different. That's right. We're talking about Da Tong rice cooker. Everybody in Taiwan knows this brand. Okay? Yeah. It's, it's uh, anyway. Um, well, first of all, uh, it's making it big in Japan. But the funny thing is, we all thought that Da Tong rice cooker was invented in Taiwan, but actually was invented in Japan. Oh. And it was due to uh, cooperation between Da Tong and uh, a Taiwanese company, of course, and uh, Toshiba. Yeah, huh. Why in is Japan. The, they look so very different from this type of rice cooker you find in Japan. I find that ours are a lot less, how do you want to put it, sleek looking? Right. They're much more down to earth and simple sort of contraptions. Right. You know, it's interesting because apparently why it's making it big in Japan is because, you know, technology is like advancing so fast in Japan with their rice cookers, among other things. So many fancy functions right. and features and programs. Yeah. And so now they really miss that traditional kind of rice cooker that Datong has. They're so, Marie condoing their rice cookers. <laughs> right, because it's just very simple. The thing is that um, at one time, it was so popular in Japan that um, you know the housewives, they get to sleep one extra hour in terms of their nap time because of the rice cooker, the okay. Datong rice cooker, because it, it, when it's done, when the rice is cooked, it, it, um, it what do you call it? it the the it button going. just jumps. And, and, I mean, it switches off itself. Oh, okay. You see? And um, that was a major technology, in fact. Back in the day. You Back in be, the day. You have to stay awake and keep it, make sure it doesn't boil over, I guess. Yeah. Well, actually, somebody went through the tour of, you know, uh, trying the technology like thousands of times over to get us to, to, to get us this Datong rice cooker. So it was well, a process of trial and error. That is right. And in fact, it involved every single member of a family, of Japanese family, because Toshiba at the time was uh, working together with a cooperation with another company. And um, the, the head of that company is called Minami Yoshitada, Mr. Minami Yoshitada. And um, he's really great with, um, you know, studying machinery, technology, mm -hmm. and also like, um, uh, what do you call it, like electric uh, water 
um, water, electric water maker or something like that. Like that. Yeah. And um, like a pot. Anyway, yeah. I think, do, anyway. Do we know what decade this was? Uh, let me some try time ago. Think. I think it rice cookers have come really, a long way. Yeah. I think it goes way back to 1955 it okay. was. So um, basically uh, the thing was that, um, you know, they were trying to figure out like how to cook the rice without overcooking it. And, you know, like, yeah, turning it black turning black so um the um the wife of uh, minami's mr minami um he she would stay up and trying the you know the rice cooker over and over time and, and making records of it to the point where um she, her health started deteriorating to overwork from rice monitoring yeah. and so then the recording was passed on to the kids mm. they had two kids you know what did they do with all the rice i wonder uh, there's nothing you can do about <laughs> neighbors it neighbors must have gotten sick of having them yeah and so the thing was that uh, they figured, uh, that's how they figured it out. Mm -hmm. I mean, if everybody knows about Dalton rice cooker, it actually has a pot within uh, the big pot. pot. And then you put some water in the middle of, the, I mean, in between the two pots. Mm -hmm. And the thing is that, uh, here's here, I'm going on with physics here, I guess. And um, is that when you start cooking, the water would start evaporating, right. you know, when it, heat, it heats up. And once the water is gone, the outer pot becomes so hot it would switch itself off. Okay. So that's, so that's, that's the mechanism. Now, yeah. where, where does the Taiwanese company enter into this, though? So far, we've talked about Mr. Minami in Japan. Right. Where, where did, where's Taiwan coming into well, the Well, somehow, um, Datong just kind of worked together with, uh, you know, in a corporation with uh, that, uh, with uh, Toshiba and made these rice cookers. So they I mean, manufacturing. All, yeah, probably. And because, I mean, after all, rice is also a, a major staple here in yeah. Taiwan. But I think sort of we've gotten used to it that's it's very functional and that's sort of what we've stuck with whereas in japan things have gotten a bit more i don't know too advanced it's very like you don't yeah. know what button to push i know probably that's probably it so you know? i guess a bit of nostalgia maybe to, to a simpler time when you just want rice mm -hmm. you know I just, recently, I just recently got a new one. Really? Um, yeah, this Dalton rice cooker. It's still the old-fashioned kind of pressed down, and it just jumps up, you know, pops. It makes a loud popping sound. I don't know. Catherine, do you have a rice cooker, Dalton rice cooker at home? Yeah, we do. Um, last time I used it, it was actually for zongzi. Oh, okay. for making the uh, yeah the rice dumpling. We just had that for uh, Dragon Boat Festival. Right. But in a Japanese rice cooker, I imagine that they would probably have a pre-setting for just that, and you have to like press a combination of buttons. And in here, you just kind of pop it in, yeah. and that's it. And just one button, one push. <laughs> yeah, that's our text. The Japanese ones also sing when they're done. <laughs> yeah, there's no singing of rice. There's no singing with the Dalton rice cooker. In Taiwan, we say that for trash trucks. So. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Well, we just gotten over panda fever, it felt like, and uh, now we've got, we're starting all over again. Taipei Zoo has welcomed its newest member, a baby panda, and uh, it's a lot of trouble, cute though it may be. Why is that? Because how hard it is to get breast milk from the mama pandas. Oh dear. Yeah. Um, right now they have, I believe, two zoo staff working around the clock, 24 hours, just trying to extract enough breast milk to feed the new baby. It takes 24 hours just for like her to be ready, or they just never know when she's going to lactate, or... They just never know. Okay. It's, yeah, so far... You want to store um, enough mother's milk. Mm -hmm, right. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> they have... So you have to get the milk and then you prep it in a bottle and then feed it to the baby. You can't just have the mom feed the baby herself. 
Oh, really? Mm-hmm. That seems a bit odd because, I mean, that's what they have to do in nature, isn't it? I guess yeah. this is a creature that has trouble reproducing to begin with, so maybe not the most evolutionarily... <laughs> right, that, that must be it. So Just, far, they've, yeah. they've fed the new baby 18 times, and wow. that is only 55 wow. grams of milk. Oh, it's so tiny. I know. Okay. I've never what, had what's... to feed that many times with my babies. <laughs> <Do> <laughs> when my children are young. You know, I haven't heard. What is the panda's name? Do we know? They haven't named her yet. They haven't named her oh, yet. Okay. Okay. Wow. Are we going to go through that naming competition again? Uh, that yeah. They had with that Yensai. Yeah. She was yeah. like a big deal for a long time. And then the last time, I, I felt very bad for her the last time I was at the zoo because the panda house used to be the place where you had to line up forever. She was yes. the center of attention. And then later Not on, anymore. yeah, she grew up and wow. it's kind of sad. But now I guess we have another reason to, to go back and visit our panda house. Yeah. I know. I, I remember having to get, they gave you like numbers to, right. to go and you only got five minutes. Five minutes with a panda. Right. <laughs> Last time I was there, there was a time limit, but it was like 10 minutes. It was like you could really just take your time and. Maybe oh, I nice. misremembered, but I thought five minutes was short and then you got there and they didn't do much. So, yeah. It, yeah that's pandas but uh yeah i guess we're gonna, gonna have another naming contest and another wow. panda fever i know mm. that would be incredible i'm excited all right well pig blood how do you want to call it it's not quite sausage it's sort of a pig blood Cake, cake, congealed pig blood with rice usually and served yeah. with maybe a bit of ground peanut or coriander on top. It's a very popular, one of those sort of on a stick type of dishes. It's co- a popular, yeah. uh, popular local de- delicacy. Night market fare though. It's maybe not the most fancy very of things. Um, it's very sort of everyday food here, but now it's making a bit of a, a splash abroad. You know, it might sound gross to foreigners who don't know this food, but uh, basically... We're talking about the, um, it's a latest food show on Netflix called Crazy Delicious. And um, so it's been wowing food fans around the United Kingdom and around the world. So it's actually a British program. And in every episode of uh, Crazy Delicious, the three new contestants will cook in three different rounds in order to win the episode. And the winner of each episode is compensated with a large golden apple. And I'm thinking, a real golden apple you can chew into or... Uh, like a, a gold, gold-plated apple or something like that. <laughs> anyway, so it's, it's a big deal. Okay, it's a, it's, it's the a biggest big prize. Deal, yeah. So um, that's a disappointing prize. I'm sorry. <laughs> I would but, rather it be like nailed it, where they give you at least a, what is it, ten thousand dollars at the end. Oh, I know. That was what uh, started think, the Trojan War. No, the golden apple. Was that it? Um, oh, something this right. The kidnapping right. of Helen, wasn't it? Okay. Yeah. I'm misremembering my Greek <laughs> myths. Uh, yeah, I get confused too. But anyway. Um, I, I, I'm, sure, I'm sure there's also cash prize along with this golden apple. Anyway, the food uh, program is judged by a British comedian, a, an American chef, and a British chef. Is it Gordon Ramsay? Uh, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, anyway, so basically, um, what's her name? Her name is Tiffany Chang. She's a Taiwanese American chef, and she won the golden apple prize with the, the food that we just talked about. It's hmm. a pig's blood cake. And it's... Um, um, basically, uh, this, you know, Tiffany, who's 39 year old faced fierce competition from an Italian Bangladeshi chef and a 31 year old vegan blogger. And so surprising the judges, Tiffany cooked this very traditional Thomas dish, the pig's blood cake. Hmm. And she also, um, actually she, um, used 
interesting enough, a Datong rice cooker to cook her food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So she also made Taiwanese spicy fried chicken wings, uh, sweet potato fries. I think we know this one, oh. right? The so typical it, snack. It wasn't just the pig's boiled cooking. I was going to say, like, for oh. a competition that fierce, that's a very simple sort of dish to serve. Yeah. She, I, I thought know. she might have did it like some fancy, fancy way, like thing, right? molecular gastronomy or, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, but actually there was others too. And um, so the sweet potato fries that we know about. Mm-hmm. Um, fried peanut butter mochi. Ooh. What? Uh, yeah. Mochi is very popular in Taiwan. Yeah, it is. It is. Peanut butter is an interesting choice of flavor, but peanuts generally is a common flavor, I guess. It is, yeah. Wow, she really went the simple is better route. Yeah. Isn't that right? These shows usually have to be like crazy to. So the thing is for future contestants, you know, don't think too hard. Go simple, Mm -hmm. right? And then you'll just win. Yeah. So basically, Tiffany Chang, she actually moved to the States when she was just 12. And the only way for her to connect to time was through cooking. And that's how she became such a chef herself. Hmm. Yeah. So um, can you believe it? Rice that's very pigs like, blood cake. And a but, vegan blogger and a Bangladeshi <laughs> Italian. That must have been a fascinating competition to watch. I'm going to have to go go look it up. Yeah, really. So, But um, thinking about, I mean, most foreigners, when they come to time, when they think about pig's blood cake, or even like after some of them, after tasting it, mm-hmm. they still think it's gross, right? It's, I mean, it's okay. It's, it's okay a, to it's you, John. It's okay. It's not my favorite thing. Yeah, I have to. Yeah. I have to vouch for this. This is my favorite. I know okay. it's one of my favorites too. My husband's favorite as well. I mean, when we go through a night market, you know, when we see the stand selling this, it's like a must thing, must go thing for my Absolutely. husband. Yeah, we all have our favorite stands. Right? Yes, yeah. we do. We do. It's that true. I don't know for some reason that I just like that. I guess I don't know. It's the chewy thing, the chewy texture to mm-hmm. it. It does have I a love kiku. Um, yeah, and oh, and, and the coriander. I love coriander on oh, almost anything. And the peanut sugar. And the peanut, yeah. So it's I like think that's just brittle almost, isn't really it? Really wonderful combo. Yeah, almost. And they kind of shave kind it of onto peter, it. And peanut it's very powder, fine. yeah, powdery kind of, yeah. So it's just uh, yeah. really yummy. It's an interesting mix of flavors. Uh, I'm glad to see that uh, it really impressed the taste buds of the judges. All right, well, Xinju is a pretty populous Taiwanese city, but I think a lot of people who live there moved there, maybe because they're in the tech field that's very big there. Uh, there may not be locals. And with our declining birth rate, it may not be every day that you even see a birth, I suppose, there. <laughs> so having a baby, and we're back on babies, is a really big deal, and the city has just marked its 450,000th native child. They're celebrating the birth in a very interesting way. Yep, the city government... Well, the mayor drove up in a brand new car for the family to celebrate <laughs> the baby's birth. And the, well, Shinzo is known for two things. Mm-hmm. Well, three things. Wind. Four, four. Wind, <laughs> tech, gongwan, and mifun. Mm-hmm. Right. So and the, gongwan are sort of... Um, not fish. Ground. I mean, like not fish balls, but yeah. Very chewy kind of meatballs. Yes, and mifun is a sort of, they kind of rice use the wind to their, they kind of use the wind to their advantage, yeah. don't they? Yeah, they do. To dry the rice noodles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, one of the more famous local manufacturers are, um, they are providing this baby for, with free gongwan for 45 years. Wow. <laughs> so yeah. You've got to love this stuff then. 
I mean, I'm gonna get pretty sick of it. Mm. <laughs> well, I guess you can share with your friends, I suppose. And is it like free going on, on demand, or is it like a regular installment? I wonder how that system works. Like, yeah, they're saying you get free going until you're 45. So then you're I'm cut off. <laughs> I'm guessing it's a non-demand thing, but I don't want to be known as the going boy for the rest of my life. That's true. No, I know. Maybe yeah. that would be something to keep a secret from your classmates anyway. Right. I know, really. <laughs> wow. I don't know if anywhere... I mean, that's a very Taiwanese thing to do. I've just never heard of any other city uh, promoting itself with its uh, native famous foods. I mean, yeah, 45 nope. years? That's a very long time. It is a very long time. What if today the, the kid was, the, I don't know, like the 10,000th baby born or, or something, like something else? It's an yeah. interesting lottery to win. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really is. Well, after five years of research in southern Taiwan, um, we have some possible good news about our coral reefs. I think some of uh, our listeners may know that southern Taiwan, especially in sort of the Kanding area on the southernmost tip, has some very lovely coral reefs. And a French researcher who works here at our top research institute, Academia Sinica, has spent five years down there looking at the connection between extreme weather and coral reef survival. Now, uh, extreme weather and climate change is not good news. But it could actually be good for the coral, seems to be the point. Uh, mm. So, you know, this is an area where they thrive, and warming seawater has wreaked havoc on these reefs. As the temperatures climb, well, they actually, the, the way that it affects them is interesting. They have these algae that live inside of them, and for some reason, when temperatures reach a certain point, they eject them. They don't hold on to them anymore, and apparently they need them to live. They provide them nutrients. Mm-hmm. And also, they eject the algae. Yes, and they also they seem to be responsible for some of the vibrant colors of the coral as well. And also, as the sea rises and the coral are further submerged, the amount of sunlight that reaches them uh, it was reduced. And mm-hmm. so there's just a whole it's a whole you know cocktail of bad things for this these, these coral. And it seems that typhoons seem to help them by having a cooling effect, and they prevent widespread bleaching. So it's okay. so reason to hope for typhoons? I don't know. <laughs> I think we're expecting five typhoons this well, summer. Maybe we can we are. I read somewhere. Yes. Yeah. We can maybe expect a good year for the coral at least. Mm. Um, I'm not sure if this has a long-term effect or if it just sort of offsets the inevitable, but it does at least seem to slow things down a bit. Now, this is a research by uh, a PhD candidate. Uh, her name is Lorient de Ribat de Lufo. And she revealed that uh, there was this mass, mass bleaching event that happened in 2015 and 2016. Uh, only 7.4% of coral reefs in southern Taiwan in our Kunding National Park were affected, while during the same event, which seems to have been sort of worldwide, the Great Barrier Reef off, off Australia last, lost over half of its coral cover. Oh, wow. So, did that coincide with any typhoons in Taiwan? I think it probably did. did. Um, mm. So, yeah, seven typhoons hit during... From, oh. from 2015 to 2017, and that was in the Kunding specifically, mm. and com- and that led to temperature drops. Meanwhile, uh, they call them cyclones down there, I think, but the, ba- but the Great Barrier Reef from December 2014 to May 2017 only saw three typhoons. Mm. So a blessing in disguise? Well, maybe we shouldn't quite think of it that way. Um, the research indicates that the algae in Kunding's waters uh, were competing also for corals with corals for avail- available space. So they are... Apparently, friend and foe. I'm mm. not quite sure how mm. that works. Mm. Um, and it's true that the typhoons physically damaged the reefs, the violence of the storm. Mm. So uh, it's a, a plus and a minus. Um, 
And the cooling of typhoons, it says, doesn't always outweigh their destruction. Uh, I think the biggest impact that uh, we should be paying attention to besides human-induced global warming is also like throwing our trash everywhere. We're sort of human activity is probably what has a critical role, it says here, in the degradation of these coral reefs. For instance, uh, like runoff, it says land-based waste that gets carried out to the ocean by overflows, that increases nutrient levels in the seawater, then becomes choppy and it's hard for sunlight to penetrate. The microalgae don't produce as much energy and it's just sort of a big problem. This is very elaborate research too. Uh, we already know, said that it took about five years, uh, but it also seems to have used computer modeling and they use that to demonstrate that restoring two square kilometers of mangroves at a river estuary could also improve water quality in the area. And I guess by extension, help the coral further down the line as things sort of get washed down. So yeah, um, I'm not sure <laughs> if we should be quite hoping for typhoons, but they seem to at least uh, have saved us during that one stretch anyway. Before we go today, I want to tell you about a new drama, a new TV drama. I'm not sure if this is going to be put on Netflix or anything, but I think this has the makings of a, a good award of some kind uh, in it anyway. Uh, see if you can find it online. It explores the plight of migrant fishers in Taiwan. I think this is uh, something oh, that we've okay. heard about in the news lately. Uh, there was a human trafficking report that the U.S. State Department puts out every year noted that while we're doing pretty well, the rights of fishermen, yeah, the people who work on our deep sea fishing fleets in particular, Still need protection. Actually, you do a show for them. I do. Are some of our fisher, fishermen listeners as well. Yes. This drama uh, focuses on one of them. Uh, it follows the life of a Vietnamese man who leaves Vietnam and arrives in Taiwan to work as a migrant fisher. And I'm not sure if this is based on a true story or not, but it's set in, starts in 2001. And he's 25. While working on a Taiwanese coastal fishing boat, it says he has a very rough time. The crew and, uh, sorry, the captain and engineer are terrible to him. He's physically attacked one day by the captain, and he retaliates and escapes and starts a new life as an un undocumented migrant worker here. And it follows his story as he starts a family with a new Taiwanese partner. Uh, his uh, child is born without paperwork. It's, it really uh, sounds maybe a bit of a gritty drama, mm. but also a fascinating end, I think, for a lot of people, reflects something true about uh, subjects we don't really talk about very much here right. in Taiwan, under the surface. Um, and uh, it says here that, uh, according to the Ministry of Interior Statistics, there are over 7,000 children born in Taiwan without paperwork or identification. I don't know if that means every oh, wow. year or... And mm -hmm. if they don't have paperwork or identification, I'm not sure how the Ministry of the Interior is finding these kids, but that's what they say. Mm -hmm. um, the, it's a three-series drama. I think that means three seasons. Mm -hmm. um, and it started on Tuesday, actually. The producers said the team had been concerned about the welfare and struggles of migrant workers, and they actually did like a year of like field work, uh, research to make sure they got everything right and started filming in March. They finished in just three weeks, which for three seasons <laughs> seems like a, an mm. awful lot. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I think they show, you know, the, the, the true side. I hope it gets people talking more about the rights and, yes. of course, these undocumented children as well. Mm. Well, that just about does it for today's edition of Here in Taiwan. I'm John Van Trieste. I'm Shirley Lin. I'm Catherine Wei. Don't go anywhere just yet. Up next, it's Hashtag Taiwan, Taiwan Explained, and In the Spotlight.
The Sound of the Puyuma Tribe on Radio Taiwan International. Hello and welcome to Hashtag Taiwan. I'm your host, Leslie Liao. Thank you so much for joining me. Now, a little bit over a week ago, Taiwan had the rare opportunity to see an annular solar eclipse. Now, that's a rare kind of eclipse where the moon, at its peak, blocks out 99% of the sun, leaving a bright orange outer rim, which is often called the Ring of Fire. The only problem with the annular solar eclipse was that only certain parts of Taiwan could see the Ring of Fire. Now, a lot of people flocked down to southern Taiwan and maybe some of the outlying islands in order to view the eclipse, but seeing how it was on a Sunday, not many people could make the trip out there. Now, this is where I really love the internet because of its creativity. A lot of netizens actually found ways to make their own eclipses at home or find substitutes for the eclipse. Because the annular solar eclipse won't happen for another 195 years in Taiwan. 70 years from now, there will be another eclipse in Taiwan, but it's not going to occur on the same magnitude as what happened last Sunday. Anyway, without further ado, I present to you the creativity of the internet in this week's Hashtag Taiwan. Don't go away. This week on Hashtag Taiwan, I want to talk to you about FOMO. What's FOMO, you ask? Well, it's the fear of missing out. On June 21st, parts of Taiwan were treated to a rare solar eclipse that won't happen again for another 195 years. And when I say parts of Taiwan, I actually mean the parts between these two lines. What does annular mean? It means that the moon blocks out the center of the sun, creating a ring of fire. If you're feeling FOMO because you missed the eclipse, don't you worry because the internet's got your back. Taiwan's Central Weather Bureau streamed the eclipse using advanced telescopic equipment offering a clearer picture than what we got in southern Taiwan. And the best part of it is you could do it in the air-conditioned comfort of your own home. Even more creative were people's attempts to create their own eclipse. The Ocean's Affairs Council got cheeky posting this picture a day before the eclipse even happened. But take a closer look. That's not an eclipse. That's a rubber band. A lot of people made their own rubber band eclipses, but my favorite is by Summer Tsai. She used her dog as a black background for the rubber band. Just look at that face. Resident RTI foodie Andrew Ryan tweeted, Just a tiny bit disappointed that nobody posted a picture of a sun cake with a huge bite mark. I feel like that's the Taiwan foodie content that we need and deserve. Don't worry, Andrew. Transportation Minister Ling Jialong's got you covered. But first, a Chinese lesson. Er means sun, which is represented here by a sun cake. Er Huan refers to the ring of fire that occurs when the moon is completely in front of the sun, represented here by a sun cake with the center taken out. Er Huan Si is the proper noun for annular solar eclipse. The shi that's written here means to eat because during an eclipse, it looks like the moon is eating the sun. Learning languages is a lot easier with visual aids. So, here is Minister Lin chowing down on a centerless sun cake to demonstrate literally Finally, some people online realize that you don't need to wait 195 years to see another eclipse. For example, Foreign Ministry photographer Eric Hu took this picture of what looks like an eclipse. On closer inspection, that's not the moon, that's a weather ball blocking out the sun. Here's another picture of an eclipse produced with a water tower and a crafty angle. What's the lesson here? Well, with a little bit of imagination, you don't have to worry about FOMO. 
Now, I certainly do hope you enjoyed this iteration of Hashtag Taiwan. And remember to get in touch with me if you'd like to suggest any topics you think I should talk about on the show. You can find me at the Radio Taiwan International Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash Radio Taiwan International or facebook.com slash Taiwan Insider. I manage both of those inboxes. Anyway, until next time, stay safe, stay healthy and have fun. I'll see you guys next week. Today's Taiwan Explained, we're going to be talking about the dragon boat races which are going up this weekend. And to have a little bit more fun with it, we're doing it as a quiz. Yay! So on buzzer number one, we have Natalie So. Buzzer number two, we have Leslie Liao. And I'm correct in assuming that neither one of you has done dragon boat races before. That's right. That is the truth. We look like we can handle it, right? No. <laughs> I think you'd be great. What are you talking about? The Taiwan Insider team. Now, I have done dragon boat racing before, but it was many, many, many years ago. If you guys do well enough in this quiz, I will show you some photos. Oh, I like from, to see those. From big a, money. From a long time ago. Leslie's perked up. He's Playing for now. big money. Playing for big money. Let's go. <laughs> Just a little hint, I actually have a lot of hair in those photos, so you'll want to watch all the way to the end of today's show. Are you ready? Yes. First question, what do dragon boaters use to propel themselves forward? Oars. Leslie, oars? Oars. Wrong. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> oh, keep thinking, Paddles. guys. Pa paddles, oh. that is correct. Let's have a look at the answer. Oh, paddles, paddles, yeah. Oh. Paddles. Okay, this That's is right. very important. So paddling is what they do on dragon boats. Uh, in canoes, they also paddle. But when you're rowing, that is when you use oars. Mm -hmm. uh, Nally, can you show me how you would use a paddle in a dragon boat? Like this? I have no idea. Leslie? Like this? Like that. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you guys are doing exactly right. Are so you basically, serious? you hold the paddle with two hands and you pull alongside the boat, propelling yourself forward. Uh -huh. So the difference with rowing is you use an oar, it's affixed to the side of the boat usually, and you use it as a lever to push yourself backwards. Uh -huh. So with dragon boat, you're going forwards. With a rowing, in a rowing boat, you're, with crew, you're going backwards. I didn't realize. And crew is on two sides, right? Uh, well, it or can is it be. Just one on each I side? Mean, uh, I think it's usually on one side as okay. well. Okay. Yeah. So kayaking could be on two sides. Okay. But now we're getting too complex for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's above my pay grade. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next question. How many people are in a standard dragon boat at the Taipei International Dragon Boat Races? Whoever gets closest gets the point. The people who the team. are in the boat. How many people in a boat? Yep. Leslie. 14. 14? 16. 
16. All right, let's have a look at the answer. Oh, wow, that many people. 21 is a, a standard team. boat. The smaller boats have fewer people. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. Jen Chen is a creative director for films and projects in LA. She promotes awareness about the environment and changed a lot to her lifestyle because of it, such as protecting animal rights, going vegetarian, or was it vegan, and owning an electric car back home. Because she was talking about the glaciers melting last week, I begin this week by asking her what we can do to stop glaciers from melting. That's a very good question, and uh, I can go all day about this. <laughs> but the number one thing is decreasing our carbon emission to prevent global warming. Uh, first thing, people can convert to more electronic cars or, you know, just walk, take a bike. You know, like I've, I've been in Taiwan for the last three months. People bike everywhere. It's great. Mm -hmm. You know, you get to exercise, you get your calories in. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's um, something that we can do. Uh, meat consumption is a huge deal because what people don't understand is that factory farm actually produces a lot of carbon, carbon dioxide. dioxide. That's not supposed to, uh, the amount that's producing is not sustainable. This chicken had a life, a very miserable one. You know, people are like completely obliv oblivious to it or they turn a blind eye mm -hmm. just because of cognitive dissonance. It is what it is. Like they have their life to carry. They have their own reasoning. Um, that's what I've learned from different cultures. But it is important for them to understand it is not sustainable and there has to be a way to change it. Mm -hmm. uh, especially right now with the pandemic, uh, there's news going on in the last two weeks that the slaughterhouses in the USA are stopping production because their uh, workers are infected with COVID-19. Mm. So then you're seeing farmers with all these, I guess, like livestock that they don't know what to do. So they actually have to gas them or like oh. uh, find ways to kill them because they mm -hmm. just cannot sustain them. Yeah. And one cruel thing that, I mean, I'll just give a small example of like what people are not exposed to. But for chicken, in, uh, in order to know if a chicken is ready, you actually, you pump them with, with so much hormones. Oh, I know. And antibiotics. I do know this part. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to know they're ready is when their legs snap. Oh. And fracture because they just cannot sustain the weight anymore oh, of their goodness. body. So oh. this is just like one small example. But yeah, yeah, I can go on and on about that. Yeah. Yeah. What are you and your husband, your team, uh, trying to do to raise awareness? There's two things I'm doing personally, actually. So uh, one is with my husband, which is like through uh, just through film, because film, we can always do storytelling, um, which is one thing that I love about this form of art. Uh, we get to, you know, tell a story. We can follow like a scientist's perspective, perspective on uh, what is happening right now, or we can follow even like a country that's being displaced because of climate change. Mm. We haven't gone that far yet. It's something that I do want to come into contact with in the future. Well, if that's um, the case, there's a whole scope of things that you can do, you know? Yes, yeah. but it is it is also very dangerous. So oh, that's also okay. something we need to consider for our crew and making sure, you know, um, they're right. taken care of because there's mm. just a lot of logistic involved in terms of that. The second one is where my, I guess, my design project, um, 
background comes in, and because I'm here in Taiwan, um, I have the privilege of meeting a lot of great designers and innovators and technology people. And actually, two of my best girlfriends are in um, San Francisco as well. So I actually got to meet a lot of tech people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always feel like things happen for a reason. And right now we're just all like collaborating in terms of design, technology, um, and trying to study like ecology. Um, I call it like uh, material ecology. Um, and there's a term for it, it's called biomimicry, where mm-hmm. we can study nature and then use it, what they have already given us to produce products that can uh, help us in the future and coexist with nature and thrive together as mm-hmm. a whole. Is there anything you want to tell our listeners things that we can start doing from small things it's been very hard um (laughs) actually i came up with a technique initially when i first started my uh transition to vegetarian i'm not fully vegetarian yet so Mm -hmm. i can't claim that but then uh how how did i start reducing me is that i make a conscious choice every single week um so for example the first week i would say hey um let me eat 50 50 so 50% vegetable, 50% meat. And I will continue doing that uh, for a week. The second week, I might say I will do 30% meat and then 70% vegetable. And mm-hmm. slowly and slowly, you actually reprogram your brain to crave vegetable more, which was not something I thought of before. But like you have to kind of like it's your body. You know, you think of it as a computer. You're kind of adding new programs into it for it to acknowledge this is like beneficial. This is nutritious and this can be delicious. So that's what I did for like maybe three or four months. And at this point, literally like I don't, if I pass by a meat st- a stall, even, no matter if it's like Lu Rou Fan or, you know, Niu Rong Jue Bing or yeah. <laughs> anything delicious here, I, I have no desire for it it's just straight up like oh i kind of want to go eat that vegetable next to it or go to a vegetarian restaurant so those are steps that i think regular people can start taking because Mm. if someone like me can do it i feel like they can as well yeah and that would decrease the demand for production of meat and that can improve the quality of uh the meat um, industry as well on how they treat the animal how they slaughter them um and hopefully eventually they can put a stop altogether or have more sustainable farming that will provide them with a good life. It's always good to start with something small and actually mm-hmm. we can all do it. It's true. But it's still a huge, huge project. It takes a lot of education to do that. It does. Maybe and- it starts with you and your husband. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, right? we're, we're just a small part of the puzzle and trying but to that's contribute. that's what it is. It takes... Yeah. One person at a time. It does, yeah. You it, know? To change, I think it's... And perseverance. And perseverance. And I think uh, we have a joke between us. It's like, it's like Mother Nature to send us home. Oh, yeah. You know, to like, fanxing. <laughs> I know. You know, yeah. it, isn't it funny? Because I remember I was talking to another interviewee before. You know how in the past, um, when we buy meat or whatever, mm-hmm. we use leaves to yeah. wrap them up. Yeah. And take home. I remember like now it's like we're going back to that. You know, it's so much more cleaner and and environmentally friendly. Yeah. I was going like, wow, we're going back to the old days when things were actually better, Mm -hmm. healthier, safer, maybe, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's like, why? Why why did we have to make that huge cycle and you're going back in time? Yeah. If anyone Google um wants to Google the person that invented 
plastic, his initial plan was not for mass production. His initial、oh. plan was just for because it's light and easy to use. But it was not intended for one-time use. But I think、um, modern people these days are just so accustomed to convenience. Convenience. Yeah. I'm just gonna say that. Yes. Yeah. So we need to learn to be inconvenient.、Mm. And you know, like Alcor made a film long time ago.、Uh, what is it called? An inconvenience. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Inconvenience.、Yes. Truth, truth. Yeah,、yes. yeah. So I think that's something that we are seeing in this pandemic. Like,、mm-hmm. um, and I'm actually very glad to see.、Um, although, yes, there there are terrible things of, with like people passing, and、mm-hmm. I have many friends on the front line working as like hospital、uh, mm-hmm. and doctors、uh, and and nurses actually. So. Um, I see their struggle, and I, I, ha- we, we are actually doing a film for them as well, like、oh, for、good. the physici-、uh, physicians in,、yeah. in the、uh, in America to be, you know, to be heard. Yeah, there should be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's actually a project I'm working on right now.、Okay. Hopefully, it could be done by next week. Wow.、Um, yeah, we need to go back to relearning what is convenient and what is important, and I think we're just so accustomed to. Uh, you know, like going to Seven Eleven, buy this piece of thing in a plastic.、Mm. So how do we revert that? Like, how do we go back to okay?、Uh, like, this is why like the traditional market is also a good idea. We can learn to do sustainable farming at home. Actually, in America, a lot of people are actually starting to grow their own fruits、mm-hmm. because they're stuck at home. Yeah, and they have nothing to do. Right. <laughs> so they're, you know, so these are little things that we're learning here and there. Um, as individuals, and I think that can help improve in terms of the reducing plastic use, and then in terms of the scientific and designing part, I am also seeing people using existing plastic as a material. Like they're not trying、sure. to make it think of it as negative; they're thinking of it as of oh, it's free. You know, like metal, or like think of it as a metal. Think of it as like gold or silver.、Uh, what can we use with the plastic that we already have? How do we, how can we clean the ocean? There's, there's the ocean cleanup as well.、Mm. That's the、uh, I think they actually started three months ago, and they've been pretty successful cleaning up the Pacific、uh, garbage patch. But、mm. there's still a long way to go in terms of that. So、um, for regular folks, it's about. Reversing back to inconvenience, quote unquote, and then you know carry your own straw or、um, try to finish your food in a restaurant. Don't try to have leftover. If you want to bring food, I think Taiwan did a really good example of this. Actually, to most restaurants, if I just give them my own container, they just、mm-hmm. put it in there for me. Right. Right.、Uh, yeah, like those biendang、yeah. metal thing. They、yes. just. Put it in, and,、mm-hmm. I, and then I just go home and eat it.、Right. I don't have to、um, get an extra plastic bag or anything. I just carry it、right. as it is, and I think people can slowly learn to do that, especially in America or like any countries that you have a car. There's、mm. no excuse. It, you can just put it in the back of your car. Yeah, <laughs> and just take it out when you need it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. What things have you seen in Taiwan so far that you thought that we're doing a good job in terms of you know loving the earth? Oh, so much! Really? I mean, yeah. You name a couple. Um, that that's been obvious to you. Oh, where do I even start on this? Like, oh, um, um, first of all, I'm just so proud of Taiwan as a whole on、uh, how we fight this pandemic. You know, 
we, uh, you know, the transparency and uh, through our government, we people are comfortable, people are kind, people are not mean, people are not racist. We take care of our own people. We take care of the foreigners that are here. Um, we also, uh, the number one thing that I thought was great was um, the, the, they have like their own disposable bin for uh, the masks that we're using, right? Like when we go to the hospitals, there's actually a bin specifically. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, okay. it's great. Like uh-huh. I, I was like, oh, there's actually like a recycle bin dedicated to um, the mask. So that way, you know, I don't know what they do with it, but at yeah, least... I, I was just going to ask. I don't. I wonder what they do with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to okay. know too. Actually, like um, I'll, I'll Google it or like I'll find out from my other friends. Yeah. Uh, but that's one thing. And then you know, you post a fine on anyone that litter it. I think that should have been done like to every single country. Mm. Um, in terms of like takeouts, like I say, like Taiwan, they don't even give you plastic bags i don't think you have to buy them yeah yeah and then like that gives people incentive to buy those foldable like reusable bags and just put it mm. in their purse mm-hmm. um and bring it around with them yeah. they don't give me straw either or nope. they ask you if you want straw right. even like when you order on food panda there's like a like this is an from app perspective because like in the states sometimes they ask you they don't even bother if you need ask you if you need utensil or not right but in taiwan you can literally click no utensils right and then that that saves so much um resources that's true from from itself um okay. and then i have friends that does diving and then they are actually you know they go to luidao and all that stuff to um, clean ocean trash yeah like mm. literally going in down the water. and just grab it um, yeah. as much as they can um and these are just like the compassion I see in Taiwanese people. Uh, I mean, I want—I don't want to just say Taiwanese people. I say people in general. But mm-hmm. from what I've observed in Taiwan, is something that's just so lovely to see. And oh, we have the trash truck that comes right. and collect trash. But we have to do compost. Like people yes. understand how to do compost on the side. Mm-hmm. That's something America does not know. Like mm. we don't have like a, a separate system for compost. Mm. Um, so that that's was true. that mm-hmm. was something that I saw. I was like, oh wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, why is my mom having another bag for all the leftover food? Yeah. And- the kitchen waste, the kitchen <laughs> the, waste, the, the, the kitchen waste. Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah. Uh, banana peels, whatever. You know, like, yeah. uh, that's something that I thought was wonderful to right. um, to see. Okay, yeah, and be proud of. Yeah, yeah. Well, Taiwan is doing good, but yeah. I think we can all do better. We, we can, can all, all do, do more. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, it's been wonderful talking to you, Jan. Oh, thank you. And thank, um, you. thank you for having such a heart for, you know, doing the right thing to, you know, raise awareness. I think it's, it is important, but to mm-hmm. take you and your husband and more of like multiples of like you two, mm-hmm. you know, doing this kind of thing, I think it will make a change in the world. I hope so. S- slowly yeah. but surely. Slowly yeah. but surely. Yes. Through the effort of a lot of people that are compassionate. Right, yes. right. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Jan. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on the show. No problem. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. 
Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia, from 0300 to 0400 UTC, on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. Thank you.